Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm uh, pleased to be uh, continuing the extended series of talks and explorations that I started in uh, January, which are generally on the theme of uh, practicing with challenges or practicing with difficulties. And the talks from the past are all available at the Dharma Seed website. And this is really the third cycle. The first cycle, uh, first two cycles were especially on inner practices, on ways to work with uh, challenges that come up in our own experience. Um, can be because of what happens in the world or relationally, but there are practices that we do internally. And so the first practices were, came under the rubric of heart practices, particularly focusing on forgiveness and compassion. The second cycle, which was um, in July, was on the theme of particularly working with our own thoughts and emotions. How do we work with challenges um, that may express themselves in very difficult thoughts and emotions? Maybe angry thoughts, judgmental thoughts, fear, anxiety, sadness, anger, and so forth. And uh, this is an important part of uh, working with challenges relationally and socially. It's not the only way we work with those challenges, but it's an important aspect. One of the uh, insights that I found when several years ago we had a series here called The Dharma of Difficult People. <laughs> Difficult people, of course, typically defined as people other than us. <laughs> And so important to put difficult person in like quotation marks. But one of the great insights that came from that um, examination what is, is that we can have a very precise experiential definition of a difficult person. A difficult person is someone with whom I have difficult experiences. <laughs> and we, of course, tend to think that difficult people constitute a um, category of unusually depraved souls. <laughs> okay. But it's actually helpful to see that whatever, whatever they have that is problematic, we have something we can take responsibility for, which is our own reactivity, our own difficult emotions. How can I be most skillful with that, no matter what the other person is doing? Of course, I can intervene in other ways as well. But an important part, and we'll see an important part when we look today to more relational challenges, is working with what comes up in my own experience. A big role in working with challenges. And so today, the, I, and last time, I brought the focus more into the relational area. That is, how do we work with relational challenges? And um, did that particularly by focusing on the theme of uh, working with conflict, practicing with conflict. Um, and we looked um, quite a bit at interpersonal conflict, but we also could look at other aspects of conflict. And again, uh, as with last time, I wanted to give uh, right at the beginning uh, the definition of conflict that I'm working with, because often we have... Um, negative associations with the term conflict. Here I'm trying to use the word in a more neutral way 
to suggest any difference of goals, values, objectives, interests, sense of what matters. And, and so that conflict um, is going to be uh, there all the time in our lives. You know, um, there's bad traffic. Should I try to uh, telephone ahead or should I just show up? Okay, and there may be different values connected with that. Or the, uh, there may be a very simple conflict of, uh, I have a free afternoon, what should I do? Should I uh, just take it easy and lay back and, I don't know, um, catch up on my cleaning of the refrigerator? <laughs> Or should I go out and connect with friends? Should I visit my relative who is a little sick? Should I take a walk in the park? Sometimes that can appear as an inner conflict, right? Because they may each express aspects of what's important. I may value unstructured time and a sense of no pressure and relaxation. And I may value also connecting with this friend or connecting with um, the trees and the hills or whatever as a way to find greater peace or restoration or whatever. And I can similarly have an inner conflict. Should I stay in this job or not? Should I stay in this relationship or not? Uh, So conflicts can be like that. There can be interpersonal conflicts where uh, which sometimes become uh, difficult and even go into hostility and aggression. But conflict in itself doesn't necessarily involve hostility or aggression in the way I've defined it. And that's going to be crucial for working skillfully with conflict. So uh, conflicts can again be uh, what we would call intra-psychic or intrapersonal, internal. They can be interpersonal. They can be in a group. They can be in a community. They can be in a society. And they can be between nations or between uh, uh, different uh, larger bodies, you know, like uh, nations, non-state actors, like terrorists or people who are um, in some way arrayed against a nation state. So there can be conflicts on all these levels. What's the the approach that I want to suggest is one that really makes connections between the inner work that we do and how we respond to how we work with conflict uh, intrapersonally, interpersonally, and if, if conflicts arise in a um, community. To that extent, I'm in a sense being innovative by connecting the resources of our meditation practice with other resources, particularly that I've learned in studying conflict. And I'll be bringing in, um, generally, as I brought in last time, uh, a model uh, that we sometimes call the win-win model of conflict transformation, sometimes called both-and. And it's one that has a, a lot of sources. And I brought in some of the, the text. The person I especially learned from is a man named Johan Galton, who, whom I talked about last time, uh, Norwegian, uh, was really the founder of Peace Studies, a very creative man who had first-hand experience 
as a teenager as part of the resistance against the Nazis. His father happened to be the mayor of Oslo in the 1940s when uh, Norway was occupied by the Nazis. And he developed at an early age a lifelong interest in peace. He actually was in prison um, as a young man for six months because he refused the compulsory military service that Norway had at the time. And he, went, he was in prison for six months and he said it was a great opportunity because I, I had access to a very good library. <laughs> yeah, and he actually he read Gandhi during that time. You know, Gandhi also had a lot of prison experience and read, did a lot of reading. So <laughs> anyway, uh, so he uh, started, uh, started peace studies at age 30 and developed this model, which I'll, I'll get to in a moment. It's also similar, very similar to a model that uses slightly different vocabulary that comes from a number of other sources. One of the main sources that some of you may be familiar with is the Harvard Negotiation Project. And that's issued in some very good books. Uh, some of you know the book Getting to Yes, Roger Fisher and William Urey, which is a well-known book, been out, I think, since the early 80s. And this uh, really works with uh, the same kind of model I'll be presenting. Um, another more recent book in the same flavor is called Difficult Conversations, which comes out of uh, the Harvard Negotiation Project and works with the same model I'll be presenting. Galton's work, uh, I have on the handout at the bottom uh, a place, a web reference, where you can learn about his writing. One of his writings I refer to as a manual on conflict transformation that he did for the UN called Conflict Transformation by Peaceful Means. And that's available on the web as a PDF file. And there's also a book uh, that's one of, has a lot of books. One of them is called Searching for Peace. And in this book he, for example, I think gives uh, his own analysis of 45 uh, major conflicts in the world. There could be social conflicts or international conflicts and how to work with them given his model. One of the interesting things I've found is that a lot of conflicts are difficult not because they're inherently, uh, inherently difficult to understand what a solution might be but because the level of pain and trauma is so high that people can't actually get to the place where they can do anything other than react. And that makes it harder because uh, essentially, as we'll see, this approach to conflict transformation is quite dependent on being able to have an empathic, empathic and compassionate understanding of all of what's present in a situation. So um, what I'll be doing then is doing something which I, th I find important for bringing our practice to a lot of different domains, which is making the best, the use of the best resources in our society and connecting it with our practice. And this is actually, when you study the spread of Buddhism, for example, in different countries, this is always what happened. That something like Zen was a Chinese product which came out of the meeting of Buddhism, which came from India, where it looked very different, meeting with um, um, some of the Confucian and Taoist traditions, particularly Taoist traditions, 
which led to these quizzical Zen masters, right? And that, we don't have anything quite like that in India. And it was really uh, almost like the indigenous traditions connecting. And I see this work with conflict as trying to find the best resources available and connecting with their inner practice. And I think that combination is extremely fruitful because a lot of the existing resources don't include the inner dimension very well. And so there's a, there's a, a beautiful combination. So what I want to do here is to first go through the uh, model of conflict transformation, which is represented in your handout, then add a further piece on the importance of empathy. And in both of those um, parts, I'll be bringing, I'll have us do a lot of exercises together. So this won't be a, uh, this will be partly a talk and partly a chance to uh, experience things. And I'm going to leave time for at the end, I'll have a chance for you to work out your own conflict. So maybe even right now, before we start on this, imagine, uh, bring to mind a conflict that's there in your life. Now remember last time and some of the other times I said that an important aspect of training is not going right away to the most difficult material. Okay? No, even though many of us come to meditation or came here on a Wednesday morning hoping that that very intense challenge or difficulty might be resolved in our two hours here. Okay. Um, that may be possible. But don't count on it. <laughs> okay. And so uh, what I'd like to invite you to think of is a conflict. I remember I used the uh, level of difficulty scale like divers use, like in the Olympics. And zero to ten. Think of a conflict that could be an interpersonal conflict, like should I stay in this job, this relationship? Well, those are not going to be, those are going to be difficult ones. But think of, think of um, an in, an in, uh, could be an inner conflict or it could be an interpersonal conflict that on a scale of 10 is maybe in the 4 to 7 range in terms of level of difficulty. And just reflect on that right now. And uh, later, and it, it can actually be a reference point as we do some exercises together. And late at the, near the end, we'll come back to that, uh, that conflict. Again, conflict defined simply as a difference of um, values, goals, objectives, interests, right? Again, could be, could be quite varied. So just reflect on what that might be for yourself right now. Okay. A brief review of why conflicts are so difficult. First, many of us have conditions to be, have conditioning to be avoidant of conflicts. When I asked for hands last time, it was well over half. And many of us have that conditioning. That, that was the conditioning which I think I received. 
which was generally to be avoided. And it's in the culture quite strongly, and um, different parts of the culture, and but not everywhere. You know, I, I mentioned stories of living in the old Italian section of Boston for a period of time, where there was not such an avoidant approach to conflict, <laughs> <laughs> and where generally the neighborhood conflicts, especially in the summer, were um, very uh, what um, uh, very recognizable, and people could track them quite carefully <laughs> from the open windows, and or just the talking in the street. So very different different cultures have different approaches to conflict, um, but there often can be um, conditioning to be avoidant. The other, the opposite conditioning, which is not so helpful, is the conditioning just to act out. It's just I have a conflict. I just immediately go with what I think is right, which may lead to aggression, anger, just being expressed without reflection necessarily. So we could call acting out or indulging is the other opposite condition, conditioning. And there's all sorts of uh, cultural conditioning. You know? and I, I, I mentioned the many institutions that we have, and we looked at this last time, I remember with the uh, questions from Chris, there are many institutions which tend towards dualistic ways to resolve conflict. Law is one of them, very adversarial relationships. There are other models developing. Uh, sports typically is very dualistically structured, at least in uh, you know, organized sports. So there has to be a winner and a loser. I remember when I was growing up and playing sports all the time, I, I had, we approached sports in a different way. Maybe we kept score, but people forgot what the score was. And we kind of kept on playing. And there wasn't that same dualistic structure. It was much more for the joy and the fun and the connection. Anyone have that experience you know, in your own background? Um, so a lot of our institutions have that dualistic structure. Politics is another one of them. There are other models. There are other ways to do things you know, that, uh, you know, that tend to be less, um, less dualistic. So there's a lot of conditioning uh, to have a dualistic approach to conflicts. Um, we often, because of that dualistic uh, conditioning, we often tend to create stories when conflicts arise that the other is bad. Uh, in psychological language, we would say that we often project on the other people. We think it's their fault. We don't really look carefully at the conflict. We have tendencies to want to be right and the other wrong. Some of us have strong conditioning to be wrong and the other right, because <laughs> it, can, it can go both ways. Um, but that, that those are all um, dualistic structures, and that's very strong in the culture and in, in our conditioning. So to do something different, you remember, is, is challenging. We have, to, we have to really see what our conditioning is and work with it and keep noticing it. One of the aspects of conflict that makes it difficult that we can really work with with our meditation practice is that in conflicts, we often become reactive. That is, we tend to be, um, our minds tend to go on automatic, and either we push away, have very negative views of something, or we grab hold of something. Could be grabbing hold, I want it done my way. And we grab hold of what we, our preferred outcome, or we push away what seems to be the outcome. 
And the approach here that will be offered is one that's based on looking at conflict with the aims of understanding, connection, and empathy. This is not a common approach, right? Especially not common in the world. Those who call for empathy and compassion and understanding in the conflicts that we've seen in the last two months are rare voices. Whether it's Israel, Gaza, Ukraine, Iraq, Ferguson, Missouri, and so forth. And so that's the approach that's going to be uh, developed here. So you can look at your handout and see that in this win-win model, there's uh, a very simple visual image that can help us work with conflict. And that is an image of uh, a vertical axis and a horizontal axis. And we could call the vertical axis A and the uh, horizontal axis B. And that symbolizes the dualism. In this dualistic conflict, the solution is for one of them to win. Right? And that's our, uh, our common model. Either A wins or B wins. Right? That's a dualistic structure of conflict. And so, uh, should I stay in this relationship? Either yes or no. And I might go back and forth between that and not really inquire so much. Or, uh, you know, what, uh, what restaurant should we go to tonight? I say Chinese, you say Mexican. How are we going to decide? <laughs> right? um, and we might say, we, you know, the, in the relationship, one person may engage in various maneuvers and manipulations to get his or her way. That would be a more dualistic way to deal with the conflict. What's very important to see is that there are three other options for conflicts. And part of what I invited us last time to do was to gain fluency with the model by looking at different kinds of conflicts through the eyes of seeing five options. That is a wonderful, and we'll do, in a moment, we'll do those practices, okay? So the three other options form in Galtung's model a diagonal. He calls this the peace diagonal. One wants to move, as it were, towards the upper, upper right. The, on the handout, D is, would be um, avoiding the conflict, withdrawing. Um, but it, and it, we might think of that as negative, but in this model, that takes us away from the dualistic conflict. I withdraw from it for a while. Or in the language of um, violent conflicts, this is called a ceasefire. Or in, a, in the context of a family, it might be called a timeout. <laughs> right? So, and this is often very crucial. Or it may be, it's not wise for me to deal with this conflict now. That can be very crucial, right? Um, it might be we have tasks that we're doing, a conflict arises, that will distract us from, from actually what's most important to deal with that conflict. So it might be wise sometimes to avoid certain kinds of conflict. That's a really crucial point. 
And so to have in one's repertoire and know that sometimes moving away from the dualistic conflict even to just avoidance or getting out of it for a while, just as we have in Israel, Gaza, we have a ceasefire. That is better than the violence, right? You know, there, it's way complex, but that, that's, that's an important point. C is the compromise. And compromise is moving towards a solution, but compromise generally may not really satisfy the two parties. One piece maybe to add at this point is that in all of the models here, the key to working with conflict is to see that there's a distinction between three areas. The first is the issue, the second is the position, and the third is the underlying interest or need or value. And in analyzing the conflict, that is very helpful to add to this model. And so uh, the issue, like I gave the example last time, the issue might be my house is Um, rather grungy on the outside, the paint is falling off, we need a new paint job. What color should I paint the house? That's the issue. And then I have, I gave the example, I have, I want it to be really a vibrant color, so I'd like to paint it kind of a, a nice red color <laughs> to be, have more vibrancy. My partner uh, wants light blue to fit in with the community. Okay. And so you can see that the position is going to be red or light blue, and the underlying interest or need is going to be vibrancy, or on the other hand, fitting in, right? And often in conflicts, we actually have a hard time getting to the interest or needs. People just fight about the positions, right? And so a key part of this is actually, this is going to be where empathy comes in. Is there a question at the back? I I'm, I'm generally would have the questions at the end, unless it's a question of clarification. Uh, you have answered it already. Okay, good. I'm, my psychic powers are working. <laughs> okay, very good. Thank you. Just joke. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so you get a sense of, of, of what that is. And all of these, all of the models, some of these call the underlying needs uh, some of the people speak of needs, some speak of interests, some speak of value, some speak of what matters. But it's that, this is really the key to transformation of conflict. We want to have a sense of what matters and we, so we can have a sense of the conflict. Again, so commonly, conflicts get hung up on positions and people reiterate positions over and over again and never get to the interest. And sometimes the conflicts can be so intense that one self I may not even know what my interest is. I'm just in conflict, <laughs> you know, and maybe there's a past history of conflict and we just, and, you know, we have a conflict and then I, didn't li I don't like the way you said that and then we have a new conflict e developing and I don't even know, I'm not even in touch with what was the core of the earlier conflict. Is that familiar? Right. And this is called human nature. <laughs> okay. And so, and, um, our tools are really adequate for working with all these complexities. That's what's really, I think, hopeful from this. There are some really tremendous tools. Our meditation practice is tremendous for 
developing uh, inner awareness, and also very helpful for empathy. Okay, so this is going to be the key. Um, okay, so it's very important. This is something that's brought out. Some of you know the uh, discipline called nonviolent communication, which is very aligned with, with what I'm presenting, developed by Marshall Rosenberg. He has a very helpful distinction. He says there's a very important distinction between needs or interests and strategies. So I may have, I may be an alcoholic. I have a legitimate need to find peace, but I'm using a strategy which could be said to be unskillful. And often people have deep needs that are quite legitimate, especially when they reflect to basic, when they reflect basic human needs. So Galtung says that their basic human needs, for example, of survival, physical well-being, freedom, and identity and meaning. And you can look at the other people who developed this model, have very similar understandings that there are universal human needs, and often we want to trace the needs or interests back to those, back to those more universal human needs and distinguish them from strategies. I may want security and I may um, um, use violence to get that, you know, as many powerful countries do, right? They want security, and that's very legitimate. Using violence may be very unskillful in the way it's done by, by many countries. Or I may be the um, chair of a department, uh, let's say at a university, and I want us to be, you know, very efficient with our time at meetings, which is a, quite an important value. And I may, be, uh, I may be, as it were, overly controlling in order to get, gain that uh, value of being efficient with our time, right? The uh, being overly controlling is a strategy. I might be able to be efficient in many other ways. And part of what, part of what the uh, creativity called for in this is to be really um, uh, contemplative of many options and possibilities. Because normally in conflict, we develop tunnel thinking. Right? Especially because there's pain. And so um, this, this is what makes it so hard. Okay, so ready for a few conflicts? Okay, well, again, these are not going to be the most intense. Okay, the first one is okay, you are a parent. You are in the kitchen. There are two children in the kitchen. There is one orange on the table. Both children want the orange. Okay? Now, the exercise we want to do is to be able to see this situation through the lens of the model. So I don't want to, uh, so, um, oh, I, I didn't get to the last of the uh, options. So I'll, um, I'll go back to that. Sorry, I forgot. I got on a excursus. Um, so the last option, there's compromise, and then the last option is called the both-and option or the win-win model. And this is where one develops a creative way of meeting the deep need or interest of both sides. That takes creativity, and it's not always easy. Right? Uh, and that's what we're training in. Okay? So we have um, one orange on the table, two children, both want the orange, they're ready to fight. Okay? First of all, what does 
the option of withdrawal look like? You're the parent. Huh? Leave the kids to themselves. <laughs> okay. Um, no, no, no. I think we're, we're wanting to avoid uh, dualistic conflict. Let's take that as our model. We want to avoid dualistic conflict. So in the back, please. Yeah, it could be, it could be you're, you're getting at each other again. None of you will get it. <laughs> it could be said like that or it could be said nicely, right? But in any case, what would be another example of withdrawal? Or, uh, you know, we get, we get rid of the conflict, but we don't necessarily satisfy the, deep, the deeper needs or interests of the two participants. What's another way we might have withdrawal in this example? Yeah, send them both to their rooms, right? Yeah. You know, or I might, um, I might go and maybe I go and uh, right before their eyes, I eat the orange myself. <laughs> I'm not saying all of these are skillful, but those are options. Okay, what would compromise look like? Cut it in half, right? Okay, can you think of another compromise? Yeah. Well, I'm saving that orange to make a fruit salad for this evening's dessert. Okay. So, so everybody. So you will get it, just not now. Yeah. Okay. You will get you will get part of it, but just not now. It's kind of compromise. Can you think of another compromise? Yeah. Um, you get to the inside of the orange. You get the skin. Yeah. You you get. <laughs> you get the. More generally, we could say you get this part of the orange, you get another part. Or we could say another compromise would be you get it today, you get it tomorrow. That would be a kind of a compromise. Doesn't satisfy both. Compromises are going to be more skillful than staying in the dualistic conflict, but they're not going to be inherently satisfactory. Right? What would now? What would be some examples of the both end or the win-win model? And first of all, we want to isolate and say what is the underlying what do we imagine is the underlying interest or need of each of the kids? Yeah. Okay. Now, now, remember, we're looking with need or interest. We're looking for something that we could say is legitimate or reflects more of a universal need, and we want to distinguish need from strategy. And you know, getting it, winning over your brother. We want to see what it, what is the what's the interest there. You know? Okay, but let's, okay, and again, this can be complex. So you were, someone's going to say in the back, yeah. I was going to say, um, they both want, they both may want, like, um, the desire for autonomy. They want it, they want it to get their way. They want it to be just for them. Yeah, they may, they may want autonomy. They may just be hungry. We don't actually know. And so it's very helpful if you're doing this conflict work to actually find out what's true. <laughs> but you can imagine it. What, uh, what else might be an underlying interest? Yeah. Is the desire to have something feel fair, is that considered? Yeah, I think, I think some sense of fairness or justice would be, uh, could be a value for the kids, right? Uh, we, we, uh, um, it might not be the immediate motivation, but it could be in there. Okay, so what would be, uh, what would be some both-end resolutions for this one? Yeah. That's right. In actuality, there are 10 oranges in the refrigerator. <laughs> the, the parent simply goes and gets another orange, puts it on the table. 
nonviolent conflict uh, transformation check. <laughs> okay, so that might be that might be what might be another. Uh, please, yeah. Uh, just in their attitude, actually um, instilling what the value would be in sharing. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, uh, the mother might want to bring in another value and take this as the so-called teachable moment, right? And might actually say, um, let's really, let's shift maybe the value which may not have been in sharing and let's really value sharing. And if you share this one, I'll get another one and you can share that. So there, there might be, uh, let, let's imagine that the children have hunger which could be satisfied by one orange but not half of an orange. <laughs> Okay. 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 You get the idea. Any other both end? Yeah. Well, you get another piece of fruit, like an apple. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Right. See. See. You get the creativity. You see the. Yeah. Okay. How would you? You might negotiate. How would it be if one of you has an orange and one of you has an apple? And they might say, "Great. I actually like apples better than oranges, but I only thought oranges were available." <laughs> right. You get so you get the creativity now. And some you'd have to check it out. That may not work. Another one. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, because um, I, 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 I do NBC yeah. every year, so I would think also trying to, to empathize with each of them to find out what their needs are and let them hear each other, What you know, yeah. depending on how old they are, if they can hear each other, and maybe there'll be a shift and they'll want to share it. Yeah, that, that would be the process, but right now we're trying to get familiar with the model. Yeah, so that, that would be a, a really important process. I'm not giving as much attention there, but just having us have a sense, looking at a situation, what would a both end look like? I'll do one more. Uh, Nancy? Well, I'm thinking of another possible teachable moment, um, dividing up the orange and starting it, like a segment at a time, and seeing when people are no longer hungry. Yeah, that, so would, that, that again, I think, is more of a process. That's more process-oriented. It could, it could get there, but let's, right now I'm trying to simplify it. You're, we're bringing in important complexities, but I want to just have us say, what would actually be a possible solution? Not so much how we get there or how we explore it. And both of what was said would be important. Maybe just one more. Offer them both some other favorite treat. Right. You, if, again, we have to have a sense <coughs> of the interest. You know, well, uh, we, have, we actually just have one orange. But I have a really great candy bar. So anyway, so what we see, what we're doing is we're more uh, getting our sense uh, ourselves uh, familiar with the model. Okay, second. Yeah. Okay, a second example. I'm going to my 25th college reunion. I'm going to wear the clothes that I wore when I was uh, graduating college 25 years ago. I've gained a few pounds. And uh, some people would make some comments. But I have a daughter who is 17 who has been trained to have two values. And these are going to be the A and the B in the model. Okay? Two examples, uh, two models. Um, or two, um, two values. One of them is honesty. Okay. And the other one is empathy and compassion. Okay? Okay? Okay, so we have a set. Now what we want to do again is, what, what would it be like if only honesty and no empathy or compassion wins? What would that look like? 
Well, and ha have your answer be in one sentence that the 17-year-old would say. Please. You look ridiculous, Dad. Okay, that's what happens when honesty wins. What happens when empathy or compassion wins, but there's not honesty? And we have to don't go in too much into the complexities. We're doing a little bit of a caricature. That's okay. Okay. So, what would it look like if only empathy, compassion wins? What a great idea, Dad. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it's actually distorted <laughs> compassion, right? But it, and then what would, what would uh, withdrawal or avoidance look like? Dad says, how do I look? Hey, there's a great game on TV. <laughs> <laughs> there's a great game on TV. What would another form of withdrawal be? Look, it's a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> Here, you want to see my new puppy? <laughs> another one might be, uh, where are the keys? <laughs> right? Get the sense of avoidance? Okay, what would compromise look like? A compromise between um, honesty and compassion. What would that look like? In one sentence, yeah. Do you, do you want to wear a jacket with that? Yeah. Big <laughs> <laughs> would you like to wear a big jacket? So there's some honesty, but there's also, it's not condemnation. It's really like being with him, okay? It's a cool outfit, Dad, but I think it's a little dated. It's a cool outfit, but it's a little dated. So there's some empathy, but there's also some honesty. Okay, maybe one more. Your peers have aged too. Your peers have aged too. And so there's some, some empathy there, right? Okay, and some honesty. How about, now, what's the both and look like? Now we have to get a sense of, you know, the interests are, uh, how do we have really a lot of honesty and a lot of compassion? What's that gonna look like? And be creative right now, what, okay, please. Um, some of that looks a little frayed. Let's go to Goodwill and see if we can find the same kind of stuff, you know, but in a little better condition. Yeah, uh, that looks really frayed, but uh, let's go to Goodwill, or, you know, or it could be somewhere else. Okay. Uh, let's go to Goodwill or some other place and look for something that's in a little better shape. And so, do you like that? Yeah. It's pretty good. It's a lot of honesty. And the person's really engaged, so that's like that would, is a good sign of uh, empathy and compassion. Another both end. How about I'm going to go look in mom's closet and get some clothes from back then too. Yeah, that I'll, I'll come with you, yeah. and I'll go get in mom's closet and get some uh, get some clothes and bring those. Okay, what do you think? Uh, what do you think? Just speak up. Yeah. The daughter wouldn't be going right now. Oh, I didn't realize she was going. Well, maybe maybe she could, but I think my my sense of that is that that it's very strong with the empathy piece, but the honesty may be you might need to add something for the honesty, right? Like, um, um, let's go. I'll go look in mom's closet and find something for me that's from that same period, and maybe while we're doing so, let's see if there are other some other. Uh, other clothes from that same period uh, that uh, are in better shape, you know, or you know, you could be direct and say that fit a little better. <laughs> right. So you get the sense. Okay. Okay. Now, the I love it if we had another hour because I have like ten more examples. <laughs> this is what we did with Galton. We just went through hours and hours of just practicing with this. You get a sense that uh, this is developing a muscle, so to speak, and. 
the piece that uh, empathy is a really crucial piece for intrapersonal or interpersonal or even doing uh, mediation, negotiation at the highest level, even with international diplomacy or international mediation, to really have a sense of what really matters and tuning into that. And so empathy is a very key quality. It's the ability to tune in to another person's experience. And to develop that more as a capacity, it really flows well from our meditation practice. It's connected with the full use of the limbic system of the brain, which has us really connected to others. Over time, we learn not to use that often so well in certain circumstances. And empathy, which is really a natural ability, tends to get covered over and complicated by our history or our sense maybe as kids of having been open and having been hurt, right? And we say, oh, I better not go that direction. I better not be quite so open or sensitive because I'll get pain, right? And that's very, very common. And so empathy, and maybe you've seen it even in your own kids, can often shut down appreciably at young ages, right? But it's really a natural quality. And to some extent, as adults, we have to retrain for it. Um, Can I give an example uh, of, of that shutting down? I'll be brief because I want get to get to some other things. So, um, you know, as a, um, um, you know, what I've seen sometimes in, in boys is that the child maybe at age three or four may really be sensitive and caring towards others, but maybe at a certain age five or six often learn to be a tough guy and maybe not talk about his or her feelings, right? And when he would say something to other boys, they would say, you'd say, oh, that, you say, oh, that didn't really feel good when that happened. And another boy says, you're a sissy, right? So all the gender material. And uh, does, that, does that give an example? And, and that boy is going to shut down empathy towards others and towards himself, right? And that, and, um, you know, it's at the root of uh, a lot of issues. Right? Um, and so there are, uh, empathy um, can be a, a practice. And I think once or twice I've already given this practice. And I'll do it briefly now because I want to get back to our final exercise. The, um, one of the ways of doing empathy that, we, that we, I do, that I learned from uh, nonviolent communication is especially to tune in to someone's feelings and the underlying interest or need or what matters. Sometimes this is beneath the surface, the need or the interest. Sometimes you have to sense, oh, what must matter for this person? So there's sometimes some guessing or some interpretation, okay? Um, okay, so I want you to do this with me. As I'm speaking, I want you to be empathic towards me, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get empathy from 40 plus people, okay? Hopefully. Um, and what I want you to do is to tune in to what I might be feeling, what my emotions are, and then what my underlying needs or interests might be. Remember, we're looking for something that's a little more of a universal need. Not so much my strategy, but my need, okay? So I'll say, um, on Monday, on uh, Sunday and Monday, I drove down to the Santa Cruz Mountains, and it was so beautiful there. And I went to uh, do some teaching with our group of teacher trainees. We have a group 
with uh, Spirit Rock and Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts. And it was wonderful to see them. They're all such wonderful people and had a lot of personal connections with a lot of them. I had a, real, I had a really fun session uh, offering some material. Okay, so that was cut. Okay, what were some of the emotions you noticed? Excited. Excitement. Joy. Joy. Gratitude. gratitude. Fulfillment. Fulfillment. Connection. Connection. Warmth, peace. Oh, very empathic group. So, <laughs> so it actually actually feels great to be empath, uh, empathized with. It's a wonderful feeling, you know, to actually have someone understand one. You know, it's one of the predicaments sometimes of human life is that we can be isolated and not feel understood. Right. So it's so crucial, especially at key moments. Okay. And then, what were some of the needs or interests? Again, we're thinking of something more universal. Connection, right? Love, maybe? Acceptance. Acceptance. Being useful. Being useful, right? Yeah. Yeah. Appreciation. Appreciation. Being appreciated. Yeah. Bonding. Bonding. Again, very empathic. <laughs> very empathic group. So you get a sense of this? If we had more time, I'd do a lot of examples and have you actually practice this. You can go out in daily life and just uh, be with a conversation and tune in like that. This will develop empathy more and more. I may have to come back when I come back again and extend this further because there's a lot here. And I, have, I did bring in like 10 exercises and we only had time to do a few. Okay, so um, last exercise. Uh, take your piece of paper and um, Actually, take your handout and go to the back of the handout. If you, if you want to have something to write on, if you don't have a writing surface, you can fold it in half. Okay? And I want you to, um, if you have half a piece of paper like this, I want you to have a horizontal line. This is an exercise that some of you may be familiar with. A horizontal line across the middle, divided into four quadrants. A vertical line down the middle, horizontal line, divided into four quadrants. And I want you to think back to the conflict that you imagined earlier. And we're going to do both empathy and non-dual conflict transformation in about four or five minutes with your conflict. Okay? You ready? Okay. The, on the left side, the left two quadrants, above and below, is going to be me. And, uh, and the other one's going to be the other person. If you, um, if you have an inner conflict, there would be like A and B on the diagram. Okay? It'd be like, if I, should I stay in, in this job or leave? Right? Something like that if it's an inner conflict. How many of you have inner conflicts? Okay. So do you have a sense of how to use this? I want you to divide it into one side here, one side there. And then... Um, the upper quadrants, left and right, are for feelings. So you can put on the left, you can put feelings or emotions. And then in the lower two quadrants, both for myself and the other, for most of us, you can put needs or interests. Okay? 
And what I want you to do is to fill this out. Like if I have uh, a difficult interpersonal situation, what are, and you can imagine you know, some particular interaction. What are my feelings? What are my underlying needs or interests? What are the other person's feelings? What are the other person's underlying needs or interests? So I want you to fill out the quadrants, and then when you have it all, imagine um, what, uh, what it would look like to have withdrawal and compromise and then the both end. And especially go for the both end, but I want you to, you have a sense of what I mean? You have a conflict between these two interests. What would, uh, eventually, what would the both end solution look like? Okay? Let's just, we're near the end, but I want to just take a few minutes for this. Just name one or two needs. Sometimes there'll be multiple needs or interests, but don't go into too much detail. Just maybe list one for the for the starting time. <laughs> Sometimes it's helpful actually to name one or two interests because sometimes there'll be um, some interests which, which can be met but others not as much and that can be the basis for uh, working with the conflict. And if you haven't yet, uh, how many of you have filled out the, the four quadrants? Yeah, continue with that and then go to see what would a compromise look like, what would a both-end way of dealing with this look like. Okay. How many of you have finished? Okay. Take about another minute or two.
Just take about another 30 seconds for now and then we'll, we'll come to a finish. <coughs> Okay, so did you have some uh, interesting revelations sometimes when you actually take the conflict and actually look for the underlying interest, right? Do you get the sense of how so often we don't go there? We stay locked in the positions? How many of you had some revelations when you actually identified the, the interest? Yeah. I know sometimes I've seen, for example, in an interpersonal conflict, the emotions and the interest can maybe be actually the same. In a difficult interaction, they might both be frustration, and they might be both wanting better understanding, and yet there's blaming of the other. Yeah. And how many of you had an interesting uh, sense of the both end? Yeah. Let me just ask for one or two very brief comments, and we'll then we'll finish. Anyone like to share just very briefly? And let's I use. I work with an inner conflict, and uh, yeah. And what I what. Okay. Yeah. 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 I worked with an inner conflict. Yeah. And what I noticed was, um, I was I'm in the compromise phase now. Yeah. And uh, with with the compromise <coughs> phase, I still feel like neither side got what it wanted. That's right. Compromises will not satisfy the underlying interests. So we look for creativity. You know, Galtung said that the people in general who were the best people at, develop, at working with conflict were people who had very creative minds. He said it was, let's see, artists, architects, and engineers. Really? Yeah, that's what, that's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> architects and engineers. He said, um, he said Jewish rabbis <laughs> and women in general. Women in general had more creativity than men. That's what he said. Um, so it takes a lot of creativity uh, to come up with it. And uh, maybe one other comment, and then we'll finish. Anyone else want to share what you may have come up with? Uh, please. Uh, let's I did uh, another uh, conflict with another person. Okay. And uh, I, I couldn't give her the microphone beca yeah. because we weren't actually doing this. Yeah. I realized how much judgment I had yeah. on the other person that I couldn't confirm or 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 work on or uh, see if it was really true, what yeah. my judgments were of the other person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a great observation. And some, as, as you know, I teach a lot on working with judgmental mind. And generally, judgmental mind shuts down empathy. And it's going to make conflicts be entrenched, right? So it's another reason to work with that skillfully. That, uh, and one of the, one, if one's being judgmental, it could be towards oneself. One of the moves that will go against that is to move towards empathy for oneself or towards another. And that a lot of conflicts, interpersonal conflicts, might be, people might be mutually judgmental, right? And that's a breakdown. That's a breakdown of the relationship. 
and it's sometimes, you know, it's hard. And, and of course, uh, not everyone will have the same interest in reconciling or actually being empathic. That's, there are a lot of complications to this model. I, I didn't go into them so much, but one of the challenges is I want to use this model and the other person doesn't, <laughs> right? And that's, that's a challenge. So, but, you, but you're, you're right to point out that we want to look at what makes empathy possible and what makes it harder. So let me ask, uh, how many of you would like to continue with this theme when I come back? I don't come back for a few weeks. And do you like, do you like in maybe more of the, do you like doing the exercises like we do? Yeah. Uh, rather than just a talk and discussion? How many like that, that model? Okay, there's a lot of resonance there. Okay, I'll end with a, uh, a little story, okay? And then we'll, we'll finish. I'm sorry for keeping us a little bit late. I hope that's okay. Um, this is a story actually from the Jewish Hasidic tradition. And it's a story about how sometimes dualistic conflict seems unavoidable and it takes creativity to find a way to work with it. So this is a story. There was a town in Poland several hundred years ago. There are a lot of stories that kind of begin like that. <laughs> okay. There was a town in Poland several hundred years ago. There was a well-known teacher uh, who had many, many students. And there was a younger, ambitious student who was very jealous of the older teacher, her rabbi. And he wanted to uh, basically show him up publicly so that the uh, teacher would be publicly disgraced and he'd be also publicly be disgraced by the younger teacher who would then get um, all of the older teacher's uh, students, which was in part, at that time, it was a way also to make one's livelihood because the students would help support the teacher. So it was partly, if we're being empathic with the conniving <laughs> younger teacher, we would want to say, what are the deep interests? And, okay, well, that's another... Anyway, we don't have a full resolution of the story, but here, so he devises a scheme. He will visit the teacher, and then he will um, say, would you be willing to answer a question for me? And he has a bird in his hand, and he's going to ask the teacher, is the bird alive or dead? And if the teacher says it's alive, he's going to crush it and kill the bird. And if he says dead, He's going to let the bird fly away. He thinks he has it worked out so that whatever happens, the teacher will be disgraced. His plan will work. Okay? Get the scene. Hundreds of people are there in the town square and so forth. Okay? The uh, young teacher poses the question, is he... Is the bird alive or dead? He wants the teacher, essentially, to stay within the dualistic structure of this conflict, right? Either A or B. And if, he, if the teacher stays within that structure, the younger teacher is going to succeed, right? The teacher at this point had not studied 20th century, 21st century conflict transformation, but in a lot of spiritual practices, one intuitively develops these qualities. And so the young man posed the question, is he alive? Is the bird alive or dead? At which point the teacher says, my friend, it is up to you. 
Do <laughs> so. So uh, you can see how he was presented with a dualistic structure, and he went beyond it. Right? He refused it. Right? Through his own creativity, and probably with some empathy there too, some compassion, and that's really our challenge in all of this. How do we? We'll be. We're endlessly presented with these dualistic conflicts. Okay, you got to fight me. You got to do this. How do you? work with those using, I would say, the visionary model of the both-end way of solving it, along with the heart qualities of empathy, along with our own inner practices of working with um, our own reactivity, our own emotions and thoughts. How do you bring all those together to come up with empathic, non-dual ways of being with conflict? This is your assignment until I return. And take notes. So thank you very much. Appreciate your presence and fullness with all this and to be continued. Thank you. So lastly, just may this be of benefit to us. May it be a benefit to others. Thank you so much. I appreciate appreciate you and all, uh, all of our practice. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.